Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. Welcome back to Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. We are here today discussing Driving Rain, released November 12th, 2001, recorded February 16 to June 2001 at Henson Recording Studios out here in Los Angeles, California. This is a record that was produced by David Kahn. And before we dive right into Driving Rain, we need to talk about a few things that have happened since our Flaming Pie episode. Unfortunately, Linda McCartney passes away April 17th, 1998, at the young age of 56 in Tucson, Arizona, from breast cancer. So, Paul, obviously, this is. Paul McCartney's major love throughout his whole life. And he naturally takes it extremely hard and takes a lot of time off. And he comes back when he does with the album Run Devil Run. Now, we will get back to this album, Run Devil Run, because I love it. I know Chris likes a lot of it. We want to talk about the three original tracks on the record because it perfectly sets up Driving Rain. Chris, how do you feel about Run, Double, Run? Yeah, I do like most of Run, Double, Run. There's really not much to object to, right? It's Paul with a great band yep. playing exactly what he knows how to play in great voice, by the way. Wow. An amazing he's, voice. Wow. He's singing just so beautifully here. Yeah. He's right on, right in the pocket. Yeah. So there's not much to object to, really. This is good music played well. Absolutely it is. Here's a quote. It's something that Lynn and I were talking about. And she was very keen on the idea. She loved that rock and roll. So she loved the idea of me doing some of these songs that I never did with the Beatles. So as I said, there's a couple original tracks on there, but the rest of the record, there are all these amazing covers. No Other yeah. Baby. Movie Mag. That's an amazing vocal on Movie Mag. Yeah. Really good stuff. But like I said, we're going to get back to that. We're going to cover that in detail later. Let's talk about three of these tracks. So Try Not to Cry. When I first heard this song, I had no idea this was about Linda, but here's a couple quotes I pulled. I had a year of doing nothing, everyone told me. You must keep busy, I said. No, that's like denial. I refused to get busy. I had a whole year of letting my emotion come sweeping over me, and it did. Paul went on to say, I found myself crying in all situations around any time I met, anyone who came over. The minute we talked about Linda, I'd say, you know, I'm sorry about this. I've got to cry. So the lyrics to this song are exactly that. And he's hiding this like incredibly painful song in this more or less up-tempo rock number. Sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. How can I help it but don't know the song? All day I try to be a man. Help me to do it. Show me the plan. Try, 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 
real rocker, this one, Try Not To Cry. It's a great song, and I wish he would play this one live. Or, like, just acknowledge some of these songs. I don't think I've ever seen any of this stuff except for... Didn't he play some gig at the Cavern Club in 99? Yeah. Try Not To Cry, that's, that's a great glimpse of what's going on. Recorded March 5th, 1999. Run, devil, run! The angels having fun making winners out of sinners better leave before it's done! Next track, title track of the album, Run Devil Run. And now, Chris, you had just mentioned something about the artwork? Yeah, the artwork on this album is really nice. As a general thing, I find that McCartney's artwork on the albums kind of goes downhill after about Tug of War or yeah. maybe Press to Play, depending. Some people don't like Press to Play. I think the artwork on that's pretty pretty good overall as a package. But after that, the artwork goes downhill a little bit, just in my personal opinion. and. Yeah, Run Devil Run is, this is a beautiful package if you have the CD. It's got a lot of great photos, a lot of great drawings. It's got these little doodles by Klaus Vormann. Right. None other than Klaus Vormann. Right. Pictures of this tonic that he found that Mm -hmm. the title comes from, Run Devil Run. Very nice. And then the picture of this like dime store on the cover. I like it anyway. So yeah, and so he had a quote about that. He said, I was looking in the shop window and I saw this bottle of bath salts called Run Devil Run. I thought that was a good title for a song, and I'm almost positive that that shop window is the photo that you're referring to on the cover. Paul goes on to say, I was actually out sailing when I did the verses. Run, devil, run. The angels having fun. It came quite easily. And so, I mean, we saw that on Flaming Pie, where Paul was writing a lot of his lyrics just like on a boat, sailing on some boat somewhere. (laughs) Run, devil, run. I, I actually really love this track. These are really interesting, really detailed lyrics. By swamp in Alabama in the cold and the damp, sitting reading by the light of a kerosene lamp, so specific. There's yeah. a holy roller with a mission on her mind. Got to spread the word to anybody she can find. It's pretty good. Pretty good words. This is what he said to keep the demons away. <laughs> Just Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, and we had mentioned, Linda, I remember reading at the time when this album came out, where people thought it sounded like Linda was on the high harmonies in the chorus. They're like, did did you record this before she's gone? And he's like, no, nah, just Linda snuck in there. The spirit of Linda is on the record. Mm. Run, all that stuff. Kind of cool. Yeah. Run Devil Run, that was March 3rd, 99. This one was March 4th, 99. So these three songs were all recorded in a row each day. Kind of speaks to this pace that he rediscovered from Anthology and yeah. definitely transfers over to Drive and Rain, which is why we're talking about it. So what it is... Another tribute to Linda, if I can read into it. Hey, I like this one. This is a kind of almost a pop anthem. Absolutely. <laughs> this seems like a real sing-along.
great song. He's in really good writing form here. I think some of these songs are a lot better than what's on Flaming Pie. But what I like about all of it is that Paul sounds like a young man. He really sounds energized. He's all about this, let's record live in the studio, let's get as few takes down as possible, let's just do it and then move on from it. Trying to recapture some of that energy from the Beatles. Yeah, he sounds really confident. And as we already said, his voice is really, he sounds like a young man, as you say. He sounds like 70s Paul, or at least 80s Paul. Sounds like 80s Paul here, I'd say. Yeah, 80s Paul. So after Run Devil Run, we get Driving Rain. Just before we dive into that, man, where are you at with Driving Rain? Well, I'm aware that maybe my opinions on Flaming Pie are a little controversial, but I would say that this continues a bit of a rut for me. As always, we're going to find some good songs on here, and we're going to hear some good singing and good playing. But this, to me, is of a piece with Flaming Pie as a kind of a bit of a dip in Paul's energy. Yeah. And a dip in the studio innovation and songwriting innovation that we know him for. He's returning to more formulaic kinds of material here. Mm -hmm. So I have many of the same problems with this that I had with Flaming Pie in terms of the songwriting feeling a little lackluster or half-baked at times, at least by Paul McCartney standards. Yeah, except for two of the songs. Paul and David Kahn co-produced this album in two weeks, starting in February 2001. And it was this whole new set of musicians, the band that he's still with, Rusty Anderson, Brian Ray, Abe Laboreal Jr., and then Wicks, Paul Wickens, who's still around with the band. And then also a keyboardist, Gabe Dixon, who actually decided to not tour with the band. He went on to work on his own band, and then he has a solo career now. The point is, the guys on this record are Paul's touring band now. And so here's a quote from Paul. John and I, so John Lennon, and I came in on Monday morning and we'd show George and Ringo what, what the song was, McCartney recalled to Reader's Digest. I suddenly realized the guys didn't know the song we were bringing in. So that's really fresh. George Martin didn't know. The engineer didn't know. There was no time to run through it, but we didn't need to. So I said to David Kahn, let's do it the same way. Goes on to say, I did it on Run Devil Run. The band for that album had said to me, can we learn up what songs we're going to do like a week before we go into the studio? And I'd say, no, no homework. So we did it the same way with this new album, following the same technique. I've mainly been the bass player in the band, which again is a good feeling. It's my place to be the bass player. I sing and I play the bass. And I will say his bass work on Driving Rain is very good. I like a lot of it. Oh, sure. Yeah. And a beautiful sound he's getting too. Really deep, throbbing bass sound. It pulls the Rickenbacker back out for one of those tracks. I agree with you, though. Some of these songs, they just don't feel like they were finished. Yeah. Maybe the writing or even do a few more vocal takes. Do a few more takes. Because... Yeah. Is it possible to call something underproduced once in a while? Yeah. Underproduced as opposed to overproduced. It's a bit underproduced. Right. How about some real string players instead of these samples? Right. How about some some lovely overdubs? And how about uh, do 50 vocal takes, if that's what it takes to get it yeah do 50 vocal takes and comp them together instead of waking up doing a song and then going to have some tea i completely agree with you about (laughs) that maybe we should take this time to say a few things about david khan the quote from paul is i liked his approach he's very musical but modern i agree with that too driving rain is a very 
contemporary sounding album for 2001. Without, for the most part, sounding trendy. Right. There is a timelessness to Driving Rain where, yeah. you know, I put it on the other day and I hadn't heard it maybe for the first time in 10 or 15 years or however long it's been. And I was like, wow, this sounds really good. That the, the tones, the drums, the, the guitar tones, like it's, yeah. it's very good. So David Kahn was the director of A&R for America's first punk and new wave record label. That's San Francisco's 415 Records. He left this other company, Automat, to accept a position in Los Angeles as a vice president of A&R for Columbia, and he had held the same position at Warner Brothers. And he has produced so many people. Tony Bennett, Fishbone, Sublime, The Strokes, Sugar Ray, The Bangles, Stevie Nicks, New Order, and even more recent artists like Kelly Clarkson, Lana Del Rey, Regina Spector. Lincoln Park, like a lot of good stuff. Like I said, I'd prefer to have real or instrumental overdubs as opposed to synthesizers. That's my main complaint. Yeah. And I do get the impression that he's not pushing Paul enough or something. Right. Of course, David Kahn was responsible for a lot of Memory Almost Full, right? Yes. That's an album I really enjoy. We'll get to oh, it Oh yeah, next I season. love Memory Almost Full. That's a great record. So clearly he's a good working partner for Paul. In some sense. But here, I think maybe he's letting Paul off the hook a little bit or something. Yeah, maybe it's the beginning of their working relationship and he doesn't necessarily want to be the guy that tells them off. And maybe that is why on Chaos and Creation, they brought in that producer that told him off. Maybe they learned their lesson after this thing came out. This album did not do well. No, it didn't. I remember it barely making a dent. This is a sprawling album. By the time you include Freedom, it's 68 minutes, which is exactly the thing. Back on Flowers in the Dirt, we were quoting Paul about the importance of sticking to a 45-minute album format. Right. And here he is doing a 68-minute album, and this album would be better if you cut a good chunk of it. Cut a few songs off, and this it's not bad, but it's exactly what you're saying. You're like, wait, there's another song? Riding into Jaipur? Wait, what? There's more music here? If you put this back in the 70s, this is basically a double album. Right. And is it worthy of double album status? Why didn't we get a Red Rose Speedway double album, but we got the Driving Rain double album? <laughs> so you had also mentioned the record cover of Run Devil Run. So the cover of this album, it's a photograph that was taken with a Casio wristwatch that had a built-in camera. Yes. A lot of people believe that to be a Game Boy camera, and that it's not so. And I remember when this album came out, watching Paul on Larry King, and he had the watch on. And he's like taking a picture of Larry King. And I believe that that shot made it into the album package. I'd have to double check that. It's here. I'm looking at it. It's labeled number 20 on the back of the album. Number 20. Larry King with his chin on his hand. Yeah. We haven't been talking about cover art or packaging lately. All of a sudden we're talking about it today, but this is a strange cover. Um, I guess you could either find it charming for being DIY because it, makes no bones about it being DIY. It's heavily pixelated and black and white and has a kind of an offhand, well, there's a hand, but it also has an offhand <laughs> quality to it an as though it were just sort hand. of... So maybe this is hearkening back to something like RAM, where it's a collage of DIY images. Yeah, that makes sense. See it that way. I kind of think it's tacky. Is that a word that anyone uses outside of the South? Tacky? People say tacky. Okay. I think I've heard people use the word tacky before. 
Although I will say I always like it when there's no title or artist name on the cover. That's always cool to me. Oh yeah, I love that too. There's like a confidence in that. Especially with a with an artist as like famous or as popular as Paul McCartney, where you don't necessarily need to broadcast who it is. It's like, okay, you, if, if, he, if he's putting out an album, you're going to know it's coming out. You don't need his yeah. name on it. Yeah. So we're going to dive right headfirst into the album. Track one, Lonely Road. Tried to get over you. I tried to find something new, but all I could ever do was fill my time with thoughts of you. I tried to go somewhere old to search for my pot of gold. But all I could ever hold inside my mind were thoughts of you. Starting out with a heavy bass part. So the first thing I thought about when I heard this, because I'm reading all the press, is that Paul is just so praised for his bass work on the album, and it opens <laughs> just with dum 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 dum. <laughs> Dumb, dumb. And I was like, wait, is this a practical joke right now? <laughs> you know? Well, it's a big bass sound, and it's the first thing you hear on the album. Yes. So it, it does announce itself. you got to give it that. It absolutely announces itself. Paul says it's a defiant song against loneliness. So Paul was back in India for the first time since the 1960s, and he was enjoying the beach and the sea, and he had a few moments in the afternoon... The quote is, which is always a good time for me to go off and fondle my guitar. The song basically wrote itself in about an hour in a hotel room. And the album version is the original speed, you know, very speed. And then they had uh, changed it. They lowered it a semitone when they released this as a single. I don't know about this one. Huh. Do you like this tune? I actually love this one. Mm. I think this one's a, a little triumph. Why do you love this song? I like the arc. The song really takes its time from those, as you say, slightly dopey opening bass notes all the way up his vocal register through this sort of screaming climax at the end. So I like that the song has a big arc. I actually think the tune itself is articulate and the lyrics are defiant. And I always like it when Paul's defiant. So it's a good one to me. Paul against the world, man. Paul against the world on Lonely Road. Yeah. It has an energy to it. I like the um, don't want to let you take me down, don't want to get hurt second time around, don't want to walk that lonely road again part. Yeah. I mean, it's clearly about Linda. Like, very clearly. And about Heather. About moving on, basically. Walk lonely road. So what are your problems with Lonely Road then? The problems I have a lot on this album are I just feel like his vocal take could have been stronger. Whereas it's like, okay, well, you did one or two takes and then you called it a day. Like maybe if you had gone back a week later or two weeks later, or if you, you know, comped a good vocal, like this could have been a stronger song. 
It, I think it's just the vocal delivery that kind of I see. fails for me. This is one of the few tracks in the rough vocal area where I think it kind of works to the advantage of the song. He really has to work hard to get to the high notes at the end, and it he really sounds as if he's actually in physical pain, which I think benefits the record. Yeah. But you're right that this album is a bit of a mess in terms of the vocals. Uh, do you want to tell the story about the, the rug, the Indian rug? Right, right, right. The story about the rug. Sounds like Paul writing a press release to me, but... <laughs> oh, but Paul is a masterful press release writer. That's like... Well, I know. I like Paul as a press release writer as much as I like him as a songwriter. <laughs> well, I think that's what this is. It's a very colorful way of saying that he got a cold and blew out his voice yeah. and tried to record anyway, which by the way, harkens back to Dark Horse with George right. Harrison's voice being in bad shape. So here's the quote. When I was in India, some carpet salesman ripped me off with a purchase that I made. He told me this carpet was like the rarest thing ever. But then I got to the next town and found about 20 of them. I mean, at this point, it's like, why don't you just give up, Paul? I mean, you're Paul McCartney. So he goes on to say, so I rang him up and I was telling him that he was a ripoff. And as I was doing it, and that and probably the weather, I started to completely lose my voice. And this is a week before recording and the album started. So, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Once you know that story, you, there's some forgiveness for the vocals for sure, because the energy of the whole album is good. But you didn't have to go ahead and record, as you just said, your Paul McCartney. Or you could come back at your home studio, your excellent home studio, The Mill, and you could do 50 vocal takes there at your leisure. Yeah. He's pretending that there's like record company pressure or something. And maybe he's using that for, to get some energy and some motivation. But the yeah. truth is, he could take his time. You don't actually have to rush into the studio with a broken voice. No, you don't. You definitely do not have to do that. And he did. And I mean, it is what it is. It was, it was almost 20 years ago now or whatever it is. I think it's misleading because his voice, actually a close listening to this album and to recordings from around this time, will inform you quite readily that his voice was actually in fine shape at this time. It just was a, literally a bad week. Yes, yes. It's, it's very true. And the evidence of that is from the live albums that came out. And also some of the tracks on here that were done later. Exactly. Okay, so you like this song more than I like it. I think it's a pretty good way to open this album for the rest of the content. From lover to friend Track two, From a Lover to a Friend. This is a quote from Paul, a patchwork of a couple bits I'd had, which I liked, but I didn't think I'd finished up the songs. So Paul and Eddie Klein was in Paul's home studio and they're working on this track at night. It had an intimate quality in the voice, so they tried to keep it and not clean up the record to keep that, and I quote, lazy, late nightness from Paul. Mm. And now Ringo... I'm sorry, I'm laughing at this because it's just the funniest thing ever. <laughs> Ringo suggested this be the first single, and unfortunately, it was the, 
the biggest commercial failure of his solo career. <laughs> Thanks, Ringo. Peace and love. <laughs> so some of the meter stuff, there's like mm-hmm. these funny bars, like what's going on there? Yeah, I like that. I call that the Bacharach school of changing meters. And the idea there is that if you need an extra beat, you just add it. You don't worry about whether it's a five or a seven or something irregular. If you don't need the extra beat, you just lop it off. Got it. Bacharach was the master of this. He has a lot of songs where you have some pretty awkward, either odd time signatures or changing meters, and it just sort of flows along because he really is just drop the beat. I Rather than to have it sit there for a full extra beat, I just went ahead to the next thing. So that's kind of what he's doing here. He's sort of adding beats and dropping them where where it fits the phrase. Yeah, I like like the five four bars or two four or whatever they are. Like mm-hmm. you don't even notice them because of the way the song feels. And I think that that's what he's talking about here. Where I think the lazy late nightedness is that, and yeah. you could like technically write that out and script it out, but that's just mm-hmm. Paul doing what he does just going by feel yeah and when the time comes round we will be duty bound to tell the truth of what we've seen and what we haven't found I like that line, despite too easy ride to see. That's just as good as the movement you need is on your shoulder. Like, who cares? It's funny, I had never actually looked at the lyric sheet before prepping for this, and I always thought it was S-E-A, which I thought was a really cool line, but it's S-E-E, easy ride to see. I thought ride to sea, to the sea, to the ocean, was a a lovely poetic line, but it really is kind of nonsensical, after all. It sounds good. It's a classic case of him not revising the dummy lyric or the stand-in lyric because he likes the sound of it. I'm cool with it. Yeah, I'm cool with it too. Well, From a Lover to a Friend, when I had first heard it, this was like one of the first McCartney records to come out when I was like fully, truly like a macamaniac or however you want to call us. And I remember driving to the Borders Books and Music in my hometown to get the CD single of From a Lover to a Friend, which I still have, and putting it on in the car and being so psyched about it and like playing it for my friends and everybody I know, like, oh, he's like sad and Linda and all this. Maybe a year later, I remember hearing it again and being like, this is not good. Like, this is not, this, wait, what, what was I thinking? When I brought the album out again to review it for this episode, I listened to the whole thing straight through and I thought, I thought, Wow, there's maybe two songs on here that are even mediocre, and the rest is absolute trash. But then I, I, I like played it again, like a couple of days later, and I like it, like it all connected to me, like I got it. Hmm. And it was when I was driving in the car listening to it. I see. Because if I sit down and listen to this album in an office or my home, or you go for a run and you try to put on Driving Rain, I have to turn it off. If I'm in my car, I can listen to the whole thing in its entirety. And that's funny. Yeah. You know, I got this album when I was in San Diego. And if you live in San Diego, you drive. This was a driving album for me, too. I remember picking it up at Tower Records in La Jolla, listening to it on my commute. And sometimes I'd kind of go out for a drive between classes and I'd listen to it. And yeah, it fared pretty well for me at the time in the car. It really did. Yeah. 
It's a good car album. <laughs> How about that? Driving Rain is a good car album. There you go. Appropriately titled. I think From a Lover to a Friend has the weakest vocal on the album. Yes. This is the one where you really hear him struggling because it's not a rock song where he can just shred. It's a ballad and it ends up sounding pretty ragged. It really reveals the raggedness. Yes, 100%. So this song was released as a single October 29th, 2001. It spent two weeks on the UK singles charts, peaking at number 45. It hit number six on the Canadian singles charts. In the US, it was the B-side to Freedom, and that peaked at 24 on the Billboard AC charts. Critics saw the song as a ballad in which McCartney tries to come to terms with the death of his wife, Linda. You know when he's saying, let me love again? Mm-hmm. But Paul on the Howard Stern show, and then Paul's interviews on Howard Stern are some of my favorites because Howard really gets some information out of Paul that you don't normally hear. Paul said he wasn't really sure who the song was about. So I think that goes back to your point about Heather and Linda. Mm. You made a song ago. It could be about both of them. It could be about neither. These songs, a lot of them seem to be about both and about the transition itself. It's definitely transitional where he's kind of putting this phase of his life behind him. given up talking not a dicky bird how about that that's a great line i looked that up i guess that's a synonym for not a word not a dicky bird it was a rhyming dictionary or a rhyming guide that suggested word rhymed with dicky bird and somehow that became not a dicky bird yeah i like it when paul throws these little british things in like that i get to i get a little lesson in british english <laughs> A couple of quotes I had pulled. The bridge was written in 10 minutes. It was like written right before the session. All the backwards recording material. So David Kahn says, we were recording on tape when I heard the backwards sound. I thought it was cool because I remember a lot of sessions where I would be hearing that half of the time. Paul said we should use it somewhere. So I just recorded it on DAT and spun it into the top of it. So yeah, that's that cool little sound at the beginning. Paul's on drums which I dig. Yeah. I think this is one of the ones that could have been a B-side. I like the words and the concept of the song, and he sort of sticks with that concept the whole time. 
the little girls decided not to talk anymore at school. That's, I like it. It's got a Mr. Bellamy quality to it (laughs) that I kind of dig, you know, about an eccentric character of some kind. But musically, this falls pretty flat for me. And then it goes on for five minutes, you know. Yeah, it's pretty long, right? It is. Some of these songs are just way too long. We're like, okay, yeah, verse, chorus, uh, maybe a verse, chorus, and then get out of there. And then he's doing some extended jam at the end. If you leave it on the album, put it on the second side. I I don't know why it's track three. She's given up talking. seems like these songs were all written on vacation somewhere. So this is another Jamaica song, like Lonely Road. I don't have a dicky bird to say about, about this. Yeah, either. Not a dicky bird. One, two, three, four, five. Let's go for a drive. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Let's go there and back again. Next track, going for a ride in the driving rain. Now, what's he thinking when he writes something like one, two, three, four, five, let's go for a drive? Because that's just a notch away from roses are red and violets are blue. Yes. There's an example of something like this from the 70s or the 80s, and I just can't think of it right now. I guess all together now? All together now. That's the one. One, two, three, four. Yeah, that's the one. Can I have a little more? Five, six, uh, it says the alphabet and all that. But that's like, what, 67, 68, Paul McCartney's, like his best era uh, in the Beatles voice. And it's meant to be a nursery rhyme type song. Right. It's explicitly doing that, where this is some kind of love song. Well, yeah, and there's that whole line, something's open, it's my heart. He has this quote where he's like, the alarm system in the house we were renting in LA was always on. There was a little electrical LED box in the wall, and it always said, something's open. I thought, what the fuck good is that? And no matter if you shut every window and door in the whole bloody place, the alarm always says, something's open. In the end, I thought, fuck it, and I took the words into a song. <laughs> why, why is Paul cursing so much all of a sudden? He's like really mad <laughs> about, really this shit. about this shit. <laughs> really upset. I love that, too. Uh, maybe that's why I wrote such an angry song about it. Yeah, this one's funny. I can't really get into this one, mainly because of the lyrics. I think musically, maybe I could get into it. It's upbeat and everything. This was one of those tunes when it came out and I heard the album. It was one of those ones where I wanted to like it. 
I mean, on this album and on Chaos and Creation, and I'm going to get roasted for this, kind of how you were talking about Flaming Pie, where you're like, I'm supposed to like this, I think. That's how I feel about Driving Rain, where you're like, I think I'm supposed to like this, but I don't like this. Mm. But out of all of the stuff on this album, I like this the most of the stuff. And when I was listening to the record again, there's live versions of a few of these songs in the collections that had come out at the time. They're better than these studio versions because Paul's voice is warmed up. They're in the middle of his set. He is on tour. He's practiced them. How about this? Imagine Paul singing Driving Rain in 1974. I think you might like it a lot more then. I'd still be complaining about one, two, three, four, five. played this at the Greek theater June 14th 2001 so before everything came out and he's like introducing it as like this is from my new album Blue Skies so I guess the album might have been called Blue Skies they were prepping to release this song as a single but they did not and there is a rap version oh boy Ugh. so moving on yeah why don't we drive right into the eye of a hurricane <laughs> or whatever it is if you only much it meant to me you'd understand and I would feel your love was true this is all I want this is all I need All I long for, I do. Just remember this after a time is true, and never more will there be days. I do. Track five. Written in India. Paul's quote, it was one of those, if you only knew songs, like just talking to somebody. If you only knew that it's okay from my side, remember this, I do. I don't even know what that means. And that's why I pulled that quote. What does that mean to you? (laughs) Well, a song called I do is going to be interpreted by most sane people as a song about marriage. Wait, wait, sane people. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I see it as... No, I'm just saying anyone who looks at a song called I Do is going to think, oh, it's a, it's a marriage song. Yes. So maybe he's trying to play down that aspect of it, but seems to me to be like about marrying Heather Mills, right? Right. That makes complete sense to me. Fuck this song. <laughs> that is awesome. That is excellent because in my note sheet here, I have, this is the first song on the album that I like. Really? <laughs> yeah. 
I like I do a lot. You're talking to the guy that likes like the girl is mine. Like it, it kind of has some of that to it, you know? He's talking about his vocal tricks where he's like going low and then going high and all of that or whatever. Yeah, that's right. He does do that. But this is another one where his voice is wrecked. Please remember. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. I think it's why I he's like it. He's trying to sing a beautiful ballad, but his voice isn't there. I feel like on the last couple episodes, I just keep talking about how much I love some of these bridges where it's like, I could, you could get rid of the whole song. Hmm. And when I get to the bridge, I'm just like, yeah, this is good. I really like this. Days go by quickly when you're having fun. It's more about the music, man. Maybe not the lyrics. Days go by so quickly when you're having fun. Life is never easy. I think it's a relief because I just heard not a dicky bird and then I just heard one, two, three, four, five, and then it's like, okay, well this is <laughs> this is closer to what I expected this to be. Hmm. Okay. I'm not saying to you, hey Chris, you know what I like just as much as Calico Skies? <laughs> I do. <laughs> no, okay, no, I understand. not even close. I guess I'm basically with you that up to this point the album's been disappointing. If you didn't like Lonely Road, then for you, the whole thing's been disappointing. For me, I haven't gotten to my next track I like after Lonely Road. It's okay. I don't even think it's fine. I think it's okay. Okay, cool. I do. Well, I, yep. di- I, I disagree that it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't sound like you're going you're gonna to get too upset that I feel that way. No. You could X out this whole album for me, and if it was just Run, Devil, Run, straight into Chaos and Creation, I'd be like, yep, this is good stuff. It's almost like this whole record's a collection of B-sides. Like I said before, when I look at it, it's like he's warming up to do Memory Almost Full. That makes sense to me. If you part of my love Tiny Bubble. Absolute trash. I could not care less about this song. (laughs) Okay, I like this one. Wow, okay. This is a charming little pop tune to me. Mm. It does borrow its chorus from Piggies. I suspect he wasn't consciously lifting it, because if you actually look at that tune, pretty much any songwriter is going to come across something kind of like that at some point, if you've written enough songs. So he does a similar scalar pattern here, and I don't think he's, he's intentionally quoting Piggies, even though it is almost the exact same tune for at least a portion of it. Yeah. Have you seen the little piggies crawling in the dirt? And for all the little piggies, life is getting worse. Always having dirt to play around in. You can't imagine just what I've been going through I wouldn't wish it on the soul, much less on you 
I think this is a nice little free association song and has a nice little poppy quality to it. Nothing in here offends me. Paul wrote it in the Kintyre, you know, the whatever, the Mullah Kintyre. He said, I always found inspiration in the calm beauty of Scotland. And again, it proved the place where I found inspiration. I just have a hard time comparing Mullah of Kintyre to Tiny Bubble. It's well, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you should. I don't think they have anything in common, really, beyond that. It's got this nice bridge. You can't imagine just what I've been going through. I wouldn't wish it on a soul, much less on you. I well remember when my heart was free. Soul could laugh, so could we. It's a nice little build-up there at the end of the bridge. Yeah, the bridge is excellent. Yeah. Absolutely, I like that. They also said it started as more of a ballad, but then he turned it into that up-tempo kind of thing. They said, you bring it to a band with a drummer, they hit it up a bit. Maybe I'd like to hear the ballad version. I guess I just get, it gets cringy for me when he's like, all the world's a tiny bubble floating inside the truth. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. What the hell does that mean? Well, it's a bit faux philosophical, I guess. Look, not all of McCartney's lyrics have to make sense, but when they're so nonsensical that they like take me out of the music, that's, I guess, when I, when I really sit there and I'm thinking about them. Floating at the truth? What do you mean? Anyway. Must have been magic Night that we met If I hadn't stopped you I'd always regret A few minutes later that door I'd have been lonely Track seven, Magic. This one came out after composing some very sad songs about Linda. Quote, towards the end of the year Linda died, I wrote a song called Magic about the night I first met her. I realized I had turned a corner with that song because I suddenly thought, I'm really proud to have known someone as beautiful as Linda for 30 years. If I hadn't stood up that night at the Bag of Nails, we might never have met. It was something I never normally did. I wouldn't normally stand up as someone was about to leave and say, um, excuse me, <laughs> hello. I didn't do that. It was embarrassing for a young guy to do that. That doesn't make, let's see, that it doesn't make any sense to me for Paul McCartney to think that it's embarrassing for him to go up to a, a woman at a club and say, hello, hi, I'm Paul, who are you? This is Paul in this song saying, the magic is about Linda. I think this is my favorite Paul to Linda after she's gone song. I really like this record a lot. Yeah, me too. It's a good way to say goodbye to Linda. I think it's actually a beautiful record. I have no problem with his singing on this. So this is a highlight of Driving Rain to me. And when he says nothing but memories burning so bright, burning so bright, I agree with Paul. He turned the corner. This is, this is one of those songs that I'm glad we do this podcast for. 
even for myself, I I haven't listened to this song in years, and I put it back on, and when you when you hear it in the context of everything that's happened, you're like, wow, okay, that's a golden nugget. You know, it's a very small thing, but I like how he does. If I hadn't stopped you, I'd always regret. I'd always regret. Hmm. He just lets the verb hang there rather than give it an object. Yeah. Instead of saying I'd always regret it, he just says I'd always regret. It's nice. It's really nice. I'd love to build like a playlist of some of these third act McCartney songs that he could, as Brian and Simon had mentioned, like do like an all acoustic guitar album or a all piano album. I'd put this on that. Track eight is a tune called Your Way, another Jamaica writing session. Paul says, I haven't sweated the lyrics on this album. I've just sort of... (laughs) (laughs) I'll just end the quote there. (laughs) That's the quote. And I guess this is the first song on which they tried harmonies with the guys in the band. And he's like, the nice thing about the guys is that they can all sing, which they can. Yeah, it sounds good. You like the song? I do. I like the song. And he's talking about the two sides of a personality or like, a, or a man and a woman singing to each other. I guess my beef with it, and that is a pun that I just subconsciously came up with. So Burger King's <laughs> slogan <laughs> is have it your way. Wow. So every time I heard this song, I was just like, this is a Burger King commercial that Paul McCartney wrote the music for. Isn't that interesting? I thought of it as a twist on my way the frank sinatra song oh i never ever would have thought that's of much that classier ever. than your burger oh, well it's uh, maybe ten thousand times classier already sinatra passed his prime but still i thought of it as one of those things my way or the highway your way instead a mm. generous kind of twist on my way it's probably not as good as its forebears put it there Calico Skies. Great day. Stuff like that. It is one of those kind of modest little picking and singing songs. That he does just very well. I guess I'm always a sucker for that. Got some of the knee percussion in there that we both like. Oh, yeah. He really is good at it. So, spinning on a axis, as he says it in the song. Yikes. I watched the sun go down with some sorrow But now I know it's gonna come back tomorrow Ain't no reason it has to do that the season of the culture back Spinning on the axis Spinning on the axis 
Staring in the face of time and space Spinning on an axis This song was written with James, his son in New Hampshire. Quote I pulled, we're talking about how the sun actually isn't going down. We're turning around away from it. We had a little keyboard thing there. <laughs> and, and James is okay, let's write a song. Yeah, and James is playing a little riff on it. And I was doing a parody rap thing, just goofing off with no real melody on those thoughts of spinning on axis. I'm just going to jump right into this. It's the season of the culture bat. Yeah, what is that? I looked it up, culture bat, and found nothing. Thought it might be a Britishism or something. Not that I can tell. Maybe a culture bat is someone who hangs around culture. Ooh, okay. (laughs) I don't know. Someone's hanging, yeah. That doesn't seem to tie in with the theme of the song. It's the season, yeah, like uh, people hanging out. Is it another case of a dummy lyric that just stuck? Yeah, but I mean, this one is a real dumb, dummy lyric. I don't know. I like, although I'm curious, it isn't a crime. Just like how he sings it and just those words together. Although I'm curious, it isn't a crime. I want to know if I'll find out in time. A lot of people busy doing their thing. Gonna wake up and sing. So this thing was happening around 2001. We had this Carol King song. She's Paul's generation, and she has a song called "Love Makes the World Go Round" from 2001. Yeah, where she too has a kind of a little rap thing. And it's you know it's like a Carol King melody sort of, but it's sung in a rap rhythm. Yeah, and with like a rap tude. And Paul at least doesn't do much of a rap tude, at least. <laughs> And otherwise, the Carol King song is really good. When it gets into the chorus, it's kind of a classic Carol King, but the verse is this imitation rap. There was trouble in my mind tonight. Something inside didn't feel quite right. Then I saw your face in the moonlight, and I was right beside you. Don't need words that we used to use. It goes deeper than the words we choose. You can't lose. I want to spread the news. You got love inside you. Some days it's hard to know what you're feeling. I've been down that road before. I figure these guys were doing what they'd always done, which is sort of adopt the style of the time yeah adapt to the style of the time that makes sense and they don't know how just how embarrassing it is in this case that they're doing that yes yeah i mean it is it is pretty it's pretty rough to hear some of this stuff paul rapping i mean he already tried it in the 80s and he put it to bed so i'm not sure why it's back again but it is it's back again <laughs> I mean, culturally, if you look at what hip-hop is, too, it just doesn't even make sense why somebody like Carol King or McCartney would try it. I mean, I, being an artist about taking risks, cool, but you're not singing about inner-city struggle? 
Yeah, but remember, they're both coming from an era in which white people were appropriating black music. Look at what Carole King was doing. She was writing for black girl bands, right? Yeah. And Paul came out of early rock and roll, which was all about appropriating blues and black popular music. So they probably just figured they were just going to do more of the same here. Maybe if Paul had started working on his rapping in 2001, and then he just all of a sudden in 2020 dropped some like crazy rap album, <laughs> that would be rad. <laughs> all he's doing really is fashioning a melody that has rap inflections. Oh, you know, right. It's not really rap, but... You give me power. About you. I guess the issue here is if you like to hear McCartney rock out a little bit, then this satisfies that need, I think. Yeah. It's not the best song in the world, but it's a it's a pretty spirited sort of jam. Another tune written in India for Heather Mills. It was a thanks for helping Paul grieve the death of Linda. You know, so he's like, one afternoon I wrote about you on a little travel guitar I've got, which has its own amp on it. I picked some words out for the song after seeing a copy of the India Times, which was lying around. Okay? It's definitely got a sense of liberation to it. He's like talking about lightness and power as opposed to darkness and death. You give me power to get out of bed when in the morning I'm feeling dead. This is one of those ones on my first spin where I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. And then when I was in the car on the highway, this came on. I was like, okay, I get it. It's got a wingsiness to it. I'm not crazy about this one. Like I said, I like the sound of it, the rock and rolliness of it, but I'd rather have the rock and rolliness with a better song as in Run Devil Run. So. Right. I mean, that's where my feeling comes from. It's like you turn in something like Run Devil Run or what it is. And then how do you turn in something like about you? Okay, so moving on to Heather, which is sort of a non-song, or it's an instrumental track that tacks on a verse at the end. It's kind of a neat tactic, I guess. Yeah. If you look at it half full, it's like, well, you've got some lyrics to go with the instrumental at the end there. I'm gonna fly to the moon, checking out of space. Find me a suitable plot. Build myself a place There I will stay For a year and a day Until the cares of my life blow away And I will dance to a runcible tune With the queen of my heart
It's kind of a fun lyric. He has this runcible tune thing, dance to a runcible tune. Runcible. Uh-huh. And it turns out that's a guy named Edward Lear mm-hmm. who made up words. And one of his most common uses of runcible was runcible spoon. So Paul came up with runcible tune. I think it's kind of neat. I think it's great. Yeah, that's from The Owl and the Pussycat. And apparently is one of Lear's favorite inventions. It like pops up in all kinds of other works after that. Paul has said, you know, that was a direct influence on it. Now, there's a whole story about Heather hearing him doodling at the piano mm-hmm. and encouraging him to finish the song. It's pretty clear he was doodling at the piano because he's just playing a triad up and down, <laughs> right? Which is what you do when you start doodling. But she apparently thought it was really something and pushed him to work through the entire song. And that's how we got Heather. Yeah. She asked him, what Beatles song is that? <laughs> he was like, <laughs> none. Get it down on tape. Get it down on tape. I actually really like Heather, not the person, the song, mm-hmm. but it's because of the context of the album. Like, I love summery, light, pop McCartney tracks. It just makes you feel good. The first time I heard it, I was like, oh, an instrumental. And then the the lyrics come in and you're like, okay, cool. And it's one of those yeah. unfinished McCartney things where it works for what it is. Yeah, I think it's harmless. I kind of like the record itself too. Yeah, the record's cool. It's a solo record. It's just Paul. Yeah. I think a couple dudes in the band do some singing on like the harmonies. in the sunshine again track 12 satoon written in arizona and it was co-written by james mccartney it's about leaving all of our troubles and moving forward into the sunshine james is on guitar on this song i'm indifferent on this one yeah the liner notes say james played parker electric guitar then overdubbed a guitar solo part i'm indifferent on this one as well it's another basic rock tune that's outshone by Run Devil Run from a couple years earlier. Yeah. Back in the Sunshine again has a cool vibe. Like you can kind of hear the band coming together, the band beginning to gel. There's that weird summery feeling I get out of something like Letting Go, where that thing comes on, it's that smoky, you could be in a bar, you could be at a barbecue. There's just something about it that is just hot. And Back in the Sunshine has the same feeling. It's It's just the chorus never explodes or blows me away. No, it seems like a jam or a B-side type thing. Yeah. It's just another instance like, okay, do another few takes. Yeah. Maybe I'd like it more. So it's worth noting that a lot of these songs were recorded in a very short period of about a week. 
in late February, early March of 2001. And they all suffer from that same problem with the vocals. And then you get to Your Loving Flame, which was recorded months later in June 2001. Yes. And it's like old Paul almost. How can I hope to reach your love? Help me to discover what it is you're thinking of. song and record and all of it man oh man well i don't love the song but i do really appreciate the excellent vocal and this is proof of what i was saying earlier his voice is not gone he can still really turn in an amazing vocal if this is what old man maca sounds like then you know bring it on where's that guy that sold him that rug he needs to get an angry letter (laughs) so tell me how So you said you like the song. You're not bothered by the, the predictable lyrics? No, because he has that cool story about staying in New York. Mm-hmm. And he you know, he goes up on the elevator to the 31st floor. And there's like this big room that overlooks Central Park. The big plate glass window. And there's that little baby grand piano. And so, oh, well, I'm a songwriter. So I'm going to pretend I'm in a right. Cole Porter movie. And I guess it was so, one, of the, one of the first songs he wrote for Heather. So it's like, okay. He's feeling the rush of new love. We get a love song out of it. That's cool. Well, we get love rhymed with thinking of is what we get, but... (laughs) You're not thinking of anything when you're in love. You're just going for it. (laughs) Yeah, okay. That's always a tough one for me, man. That's always a tough one. Hard for me to let that one go. The lyrics in general are pretty generic, and I guess in a way they're so generic that that's an argument for them. Yeah, they're there to serve the function of being lyrics for a love song, and they do that. I like the melody, I guess. It's uh, the music. Yeah, I like the tune. And as I said, I, I really like the singing. It's a breath of fresh air. Yeah, absolutely one of the highlights of the album. Riding to Jaipur, riding through the night, riding with my baby, oh, what a delight, oh, what a delight it is.
So then, if you're still listening to this podcast and this album, congratulations, you've made it to Riding Into Jaipur, which you're like, wait, what? <laughs> now we're getting into the good stuff, man. There's more music here? <laughs> this is an interesting fact that I had no clue about. It was written on holiday with Linda. He added to the melody some words that came to him while he was traveling on a train to Jaipur. Talks about how it's like a song of a, an exotic overnight journey. It's a pretty cool record. And and this has a guitar with buzzy strings on it, not a sitar. Yes. He had apparently noticed the buzziness and it, that it was sitar-like. Mm-hmm. But they do have an actual tambora on this track. There is an Indian instrument, but not sitar. You dig this one, it sounds like? No. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm okay without this one. Yeah. I don't even need this as a B-side. I'll take it as a B-side. Is this... George Pastiche? I don't know. There's like a, a couple of these things. There's some B-sides in the next record that have the same kind of thing where he's like purposely reaching for Indian or other cultural music. Mm. And it's like, I don't, I don't care. Write me another Seamoon or something before you like do a George Harrison tribute. Yeah. That's just how I feel about that. Well, there are very few lyrics to this. Writing to Jaipar, writing through the night, writing with my baby. Oh, what a delight. Oh, what a delight it is. Well, at least it's short, four minutes and eight seconds. It behaves like a normal song. The next track, Rinse the Raindrops, oh, God. 10 minutes and eight seconds, oh, God. is more of an experiment. So a ways back, you were talking about chopping broccoli, that Dana Carvey <laughs> sketch. And this is just that, but in a shiny LA package. And... I mean, this is, again, he says, I've only ever written a couple songs where the lyrics came first. All My Loving with the Beatles was one of those. And then he's like, well, this was a similar thing. I was sailing, he's sailing again, with some words that came to me, and I wasn't sure whether they were a poem or a song. So he goes in the studio with these guys, and it's a jam that lasted over 30 minutes, and they did the verses 48 times. And David Kahn stayed up until four o'clock in the morning working on this thing, editing it down to his best 10 minutes. I hate this thing. I, okay, if I'm going to, I'm going to try to look to the positive. The jamming is cool. I like that this is live in the studio because the track is rocking. Like some of that stuff is awesome. And he hasn't done something like that in a while. But then you go, wait, he just did Run Devil Run. And that was a thousand times better than this. And this is like a non-song. You know, it's a jam. And the novel aspect of it is that they're basically playing the same material in different styles, different, different rhythmic feels and tempos. So we get this journey through a whole bunch of different realizations of the same idea. So like, if you enjoy a good jam or kind of an experimental roving jam like this, you know, then okay, fair enough. He put it at the end of the album. It's kind of there as a bonus feature, it seems to me. As a When I first heard this album and when I was driving around listening to it, I always saw this as an optional kind of bonus track. Right. The album doesn't seem to have a proper ending, actually. It, you get your loving flame and then it kind of just wanders off and at some point it ends. I take your loving flame as the end of the record. And then hmm. he's like, here's some B-sides. As we said earlier, it's much longer than a typical Paul McCartney album. Yeah, because even Your Loving Flame, that's track 13. 
See the sunlight break the ice for the birds of paradise? Isn't there something about paradise in that chopping broccoli sketch? <laughs> there is. She's cold as ice. Paradise. Okay, so that's, that's exactly the same. <laughs> She's cold as ice. Paradise. And the feeling was so nice. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll do a mashup of some of the different versions of the jam that you hear in the course of the 10 minutes. I'll see if I can yeah. condense it down to its best one minute or something like that. Ooh. How about that? That's a take it away exclusive, folks. <laughs> the original version of Driving Rain, at least in terms of the packaging, I have the original version. So what I have is a list of 15 tracks that ends with Rinse the Raindrops. Yeah. And yet, when I put the album in the CD player back in 2001, I found that there were 16 tracks. Mm -hmm. And actually, it wasn't a surprise because the CD had a sticker on the cover that there was this Freedom song on there. And, well... Let's get into freedom. This is my right, a right given by God, to live a free life, to live in freedom, talking about So 
So Freedom, November 5th, 2001. McCartney is in New York at the time of the terrorist attacks. And so he sees the towers go down while sitting in a plane parked on the tarmac at New York's John F. Kennedy Airport. So Paul pulls out his guitar and he writes this song. Yeah. Now, let me just say that is a legitimately like traumatizing yeah. brush with 9-11. Oh, yeah. That's like, let's not make light of that. Like, that is horrible. Terrible, 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 horrible stuff. But so Paul's in the, in the plane. So Paul says that he wrote this song on the plane at JFK in 1994 or so, a demo was registered and logged at MPL called Give Me the Right to Freedom. Sounds a little close, doesn't it? Are you a conspiracy theorist? Are you saying that Paul was in on it? No. Had the song ready? (laughs) No. Don't put that on me. Maybe he was commissioned by the U.S. government in 1994 (laughs) to get a song ready. Really putting me in the crosshairs here on a public forum. Actually, when the song came out, a friend of mine came up to me and said, could he possibly have spent more than half an hour on that? Yeah. Look, I know a lot of a lot of people really like that song. I will defend his vocal performance on the song. I think On Driving Rain, that has maybe the best vocal performance, aside from Your Loving Flame. Oh, absolutely. It's a fine vocal and more proof, as I said, that he's in good voice overall at this time. And you hear that and like that there's an energy to it that you like want from the whole album and you're like, God bless. I wish, <laughs> I wish Paul sang all of those songs like this. Cause I think I would really, I think I would really, really, really like driving rain a lot more than I do. Probably more than I like flaming pie. Is this it? Have we found the worst Paul McCartney song? I mean, I don't know. You think this is the worst one? You can put press spies like us and ebony and ivory on loop. Just don't make me listen to freedom. Wow. This is, you know. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not leaping to listen to Freedom. I don't think I'd, I'd call it one of the worst. So you found the nadir. That's right. I think so. I'll have to think about that. Used to be bad's better than this. I don't think I've found his nadir yet. Really Love You is better than this. There's a couple of songs in the next couple albums where I think are way worse than Freedom. Really? You yeah. think they're okay? Wow. I cannot wait to hear what yeah. they are. Worse than Free? You think they're worse than Freedom? Yes. Absolutely. All right. There's a thing that happens coming up soon where Paul starts being like grateful and thankful about things. And I just (laughs) could care less. (laughs) Okay. That'll be coming up. But is he pounding war drums on any of those? I mean, there's just something about contradictory about this song. He stopped playing it because people were taking it the wrong way. He said that he he couldn't have known that the Bush administration was going to go the route it went yeah. in terms of public relations, and okay. that some of his some of his lyrics sounded a bit like what the Bush administration was saying, and that he regretted that, hmm. and that for that reason he began to pull it from the show because he didn't want to be misconstrued as pro-war. Yeah, that wouldn't really make much sense for a guy like Paul to be pro-war now, would it? But the song kind of comes off that way. In May 2007, McCartney said that there are those who ascribe militant, and that's in quotes, connotations to freedom. And because of this, he decided to remove the song from his 2007 set list, while also suggesting that it could possibly return when he he mounted a U.S. tour. 
Paul added, I thought it was a great sentiment, and immediately post 9-11, I thought it was the right sentiment, but it got hijacked, and it got a bit militaristic, meaning attached itself to it. And you found Mr. Bush using that kind of idea rather a lot in a way I felt altered the meaning of the song. And then just generally about the song, Paul's like, my attitude was like, screw you, man, just screw you. I got kids living in London. Are you going to do a bombing campaign? How dare you? If you want to take my kids out, well, screw you. It was, so that's not Paul talking to Bush. That's Paul talking to the, the terrorists. They do the concert for New York City. And Paul's in New York. He donated all of the proceeds from this song to 9-11 victims. He wrote anonymous checks to New York police officers to help them with medical recovery. I think he even scored a Super Bowl pregame show. You know, that he was, or was it a halftime show? Something along those lines. Where Paul is just playing live and singing this song, and he's just really trying to do the right thing, it seems to me. This was released as a single. It hit 97 rough in the U.S. charts. So, I mean, it did not do very well at all. The B-side was From a Lover to a Friend, and then a David Kahn remix. In November 2001, this album was released to generally strong reviews, but it stunned many with its low sales. It only sold 66,000 copies in its first week in the U.S. I mean, at the time, that's not, that's not good. Perhaps due to a lack of a hit single to support it, Driving Rain peaked at number 46 in the U.K. and became McCartney's lowest-selling album in his homeland. The U.S. reaction was slightly stronger peaking at 26, and it was certified gold. Gold is still pretty bad for him, though. Impulsively, McCartney halted the pressing of Driving Rain so Freedom could appear as a hidden track. So you were saying 15, and then, the you know, it wasn't listed on the back. Nope. So they, you know, they released the song as a single, and it, it just it didn't help. In April 2002, Paul went on the Driving USA tour, which was a big-time success which led to a worldwide tour extension. And there's, you know, recordings of both of those tours in there. They are excellent. I actually saw that tour in Chicago, April 2002. It's the first time I saw Paul. Thanks, you know, mom and dad. Yeah. Way in the back. And it was excellent. Like, I couldn't even believe he played for like three hours. The album is one of the biggest commercial failures of McCartney's career. And then, unfortunately... George Harrison passes away, November 29th, 2001. So there is a lot, you know, a lot of sadness and death surrounding this album. Linda, the 9-11 attacks, and then George Harrison. So, but we get a Paul McCartney tour out of this era too, so maybe it was good that Paul was writing and singing for people to lift everybody's spirits. But press, I have press. AV Club, a few quotes from Keith Phipps. But for better or worse, McCartney's post-Beatles career has always been marked by a refusal to stay in the past too long. As a whole, Driving Rain sounds less 
like a major statement than a pretty postcard from an old friend. It's okay. Mm. Stephen Thomas Airline, in a sense, it's a nice blend of the self-conscious flowers in the dirt and the organic, natural flaming pie, combining the craft of the former with the attitude of the latter. This is not the homemade charm of Ram, nor the post-Abbey Road studio trickery of Red Row Speedway or Band on the Run, but instead a seasoned professional finding a way to fuse his various influences in a record that is as proud of its melody as it is of its elasticity. Driving Rain may not be as coherent as Flaming Pie, nor as relentless as Run Devil Run, but it's rich, layered, ambitious, and successful. Since becoming a solo artist, Paul McCartney has never delivered three albums in a row so overstuffed with imagination, melody, and enthusiasm as he has in these three albums. NME, that's Victoria Siegel. Unfortunately, he still persists in making records that have all the unhinged beatnik wildness of a neighborhood watch meeting. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. She goes on to say, If Neil Young had sung the drowsy from a lover to a friend or your way on his last album, they would have instantly been acclaimed as fine ballads from a grizzled master. McCartney doesn't really do grizzled, though, which that's wrong. And as you'd expect from an album that largely seems to have been written on rock star holidays, writing into Jaipur even goes down the cosmic Harrison route. It brings the bourgeoisie and the bohemian in close alliance. Hmm. Rolling Stone? Paul McCartney is one kick-ass bass player. A listener could live inside the voluptuous notes he effortlessly threads through driving rain. The album exploits this virtue to the fullest with fuss-free arrangements that magnify the interplay of a decent little four-piece rock and roll band comprising three relatively unknowns and one living legend. Tom Moon from Spim. Then there's Sir Paul. On the overlong yet intermittently brilliant driving rain, he manages a most unusual trick. Songs that grieve the loss of a soulmate sit right alongside songs that are almost woozy with new love. It's an odd, alternating current, but McCartney's emotional investment makes it work. He's coy. Interesting, interesting stuff. And so the last one from Uncut, Ian McDonald noted McCartney's spontaneous approach to its recording, such that, as I quote, in parts, for example, the lengthy closer rinse the raindrops. The results are almost ferocious, coming as close to a McCartney-esque tin machine as one could reasonably imagine. McDonald considered the more polished and produced tracks to be the most successful, and concluded, possibly a grower, this album is certainly better than anything Mac has done for some while, if not the late masterpiece some of us have been hoping for. That's a lot of the stuff we said. It's mixed. It's positive. It's negative. It's I like this. I don't like that. Not much of a consensus there, actually. No, not at all. And I guess that's the point I was trying to make, pulling a lot of those. We have a whole bunch of extras that we can get into, like a whole ton of them, but there's there's not much to say about a lot of them, so don't worry too much. 
more of a list than that much stuff that we can really actively discuss, but there are a few things here. Starting with Vanilla Sky. Yes, not an outtake from Driving Rain. It's a Cameron Crow. He asked for this, a bespoke song because he heard Driving Rain was like, eh, you got something else? <laughs> and he turns in a song that's basically like a finalized version of Biker Like an Icon, as far as I can tell. It's like huh. the, the same in the beginning. Special menu for your delight, oh my Tonight you fly so high up in the vanilla sky Your life is fine, it's sweet and sour, unbearable or great You gotta love every hour, you must appreciate This is your time, this is your day Got it all. Don't blow it away. So this tune got an Oscar nomination 29 years after Live and Let Die. The soundtrack, take a look at that, the Vanilla Sky soundtrack. I never saw the movie, but I had the soundtrack. It's pretty cool. And I like a lot of these lyrics. The chef prepares a special menu for your delight, oh my. Tonight you fly so high up in the vanilla sky Melted tin beads cast your fortune in a glass of wine Snail or fish, balloon or dolphin, see your silver shine I guess a waiter brought Paul an unknown dish at some restaurant and he used that idea to form the song. Do you like Vanilla Sky? I do. Yeah. It's got a nice pseudo bossa nova thing going. He's doing a little bit of a Gilberto close to the mic vocal style in his lower register. Mm -hmm. I love the little uh, bridge part or chorus part, however you want to call it. Yes. It's a bit of an academic distinction to say it's not an outtake because it was recorded with David Kahn during those sessions, but it was never intended for driving rain. That's the point Paul is making. June 01. So it could have been on the album because that's your loving flame era. You should just put it on the album, frankly, but whatever. Maybe the archive edition. We get Vanilla Sky in the demo and all these other songs we're going to mention in a second. So the movie that this song was written for is the movie Vanilla Sky, directed by Cameron Crowe. And it's actually based on an earlier film called Open Your Eyes by Alejandro Amenabar, which is a really interesting movie. And they both are sort of a parable about a guy who a good-looking guy who's doing great in life, whose face gets destroyed, basically, and his attempts to cope with that. And the movie goes on to be about a little more than that in the end, but that's the setup. So I guess this song is written from the perspective of the character when he's on top of the world. Right. I need to go watch the movie. Sounds like an interesting one. I want to say the original Open Your Eyes is a little better than Vanilla Sky, but they're both actually pretty good. So now we have a whole list of tunes some of which I've heard, some of which I have not. There's some leftovers. A song called Washington. I couldn't find this one. Yeah, I've never heard it. 
I've known about it since back in the Chris Brewer sessionography days, but never heard it. It's a bouncy train song that was described as like a bluegrass tune described by Khan. Actually, let me check real quick what the Chris Brewer list says about it. He does mention it here, and I want to say he describes it. No, he lists it as being in June, along with Vanilla Sky and Your Loving Flame. So, we haven't heard it. If you have it, send us it. There's a few others. So, three songs real quick. You Are Still Here, Always Be There, and If This Is Wrong, You Are Still Here is a moving ballad. It was written for Linda, whoever heard it, found that research on it. Always be there. Rusty said that that was his favorite track from the sessions and was disappointed it didn't make the album. He said it was like a 1964 Beatles track. And then if this is wrong, I could not find any information on whatsoever. But then there's this little track called Mist Over Central Park that is excellent. And I'm really not sure why he left this off this album or even on the Kisses album. It's like a perfect little Tin Pan Alley type song. Yeah, it was another one in New, in New York where he wrote it in the hotel room. Same with Your Loving Flame. I believe it was on the... Is it the one that goes... A song for us. A song for us. I think that's also Mist Over Central Park because he starts... A mist that settled on Central Park. That's it. A song for us. Okay, so we are talking about the same thing. I like that a lot. Yeah, so here we are, two of the craziest McCartney fans, and we don't even know exactly what this thing is, but I know it's good. He's on Parkinson in 1999, so two years before this album came out. So this one was kicking around. Where he just pulls it out of his ass, and it's like awesome little kind of show tune. Yeah, it's a really nice little song. I wish he had put that out. The mist that settled on Central Park is clearing up and things are looking brighter now. So let's go walking before it's dark. The mayor of New York City says he might allow. The whole of old Manhattan to belong to us is going for a song to us. The Frick Museum is shutting down, but let's duck in and wander around a pick or two. Head downtown where every street magician does a trick for you. And all the young aspiring bars will throng to us. They dedicate a song to. So Paul appeared on the Michael Parkinson show. And he plays this song there, and that fulfills a promise he made to Parkinson 25 years earlier, because Parkinson's on the band on the run cover. So that's closing a little loop there. A few other tracks, Purple Daddy-O, Up the Radio, no clue what that is. Shadow Cycle, this thing sounds like film instrumental music. We have it, we can play a clip of it. I don't think it's that interesting. ¶¶ 
Then there's this track, India, which he plays during this live stream that he did online that basically broke the internet before Kim Kardashian broke the internet. I think it's pretty cool. Did you get a chance to listen to India? I did listen to India. It's a bit like writing to Jaipur, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I heard it, but it didn't make much of an impression on me. It's, it's all right. I know a lot of people are like big fans of it, and that's all good and fair. It's cool. I just released the studio version. I want to hear what the song actually sounds like in the studio. Waiting for Your Train, same, plays it on that live stream. It's an okay song. It sounds like he's just making up a song at the piano at a sound check. Is that what's happening? Yeah, waiting for the train to come in. Just making something up. When I'm waiting for your train to get in Drinking wine with your sister Waiting for your train to get in it's been a while since I kissed her She chopped the broken head She chopped her And apparently there's like a whole album he made for Heather Mills. Sometime in 2002 he did a whole unreleased album as a gift to Heather. And then even two of those songs were recorded with a full orchestra. I would love to hear what, what those things are. And then there are two remixes, David Kahn remixes of From a Lover to a Friend. I definitely listened to both of those. And I want to say they're kind of dance mixes. There's also remixes of Driving Rain, Lonely Road, and Your Loving Flame. So then we're really, really digging in the dirt here for some stuff. So there's this version of So Bad with Lindsay Pagano. What is this thing? comes on at first with a really thin voice, almost whispery kind of voice, and Paul's singing some harmony with her and sounding really, they're sounding really good together. And then when she comes on strong, man, she sounds great. She's a good singer, whoever this is. <laughs> Never heard of her before now, but I think she sings the heck out of this. So here's a quote from MTV. Gano was recording an album the same time in LA in the same studio where Paul was recording Driving Rain. He introduced himself to her and asked to hear some of her music. And she's like, I played him some. He was dancing around the studio. Everyone was freaking out that it was McCartney. And I'd be like, oh, I just saw Paul 
whatever. He just became a regular person. He asked how the album was doing one day. I said, well, I'm looking for a really simple acoustic song for the end of the album just to end it. And he said, well, I wrote this song called So Bad, which could really go well with your voice. Always the song, Hustler. And I laid down a rough track, and when I came back to work on it again, I hear this vocal in the back, and it's Paul, and he's singing on it as a kind of surprise. What kind of fantasy world does this girl live in? (laughs) That is amazing. She gets to be blasé about working with Paul McCartney. Oh, yeah, it's Paul. So that's years and years ago. So she was born in 86. She's 31. I haven't heard of her since then. I guess she was on The Voice in 2014. Uh Aha. Yeah, she has that kind of singing style. But she sure is good. That's a fun arrangement. Lindsay, good job. Well, it feels so good. Sometimes it feels so bad. Feels so bad. This is There's a few covers that come from this era, and we just want to mention them in passing. I'm partial to your Abra, Cadabra, and Maybe Baby. We'll talk about those. We're going to do a covers episode, not to spoil the fun. Oh, you guys saw that coming. You want to talk about Hurt Myself, the Rusty Anderson track? Hey, I like this track. It's really good. It is really good. Big clean rock, early 2000s sound that is a little off-putting to me. It's a little dated. Yeah. The actual tune itself is so well done. It's actually got some sweet chord changes and some nice little hooks and a good vocal performance, too. So yeah, I really dug this. I need to dig into Rusty and Brian and, and even Abe. Now, Paul's connection to this is that he played bass. From what I understand, yeah. He didn't work on the song itself or anything. It's the Paul McCartney band. Backing vocals and bass. It's just Russ, he's taking the lead. How cool is that? To be in Paul's band and then he's like, yeah, sure, we'll do your song. other track called Voice, which is a Heather Mills track and it features Paul. Heather wrote the lyrics and it's like a charity thing. 
Finally, there is this track called Inside Thing, which is like a let them in flip. You know, they take old tracks and chop bits of them out and reproduce some parts to them. And so that was released in 2002. And that's uh, from a Lulu record called Together. Elton John's on it. Sting is on it. Cliff Richard is on it. Joe Cocker is on it. That's just something to check out. We can play a little bit of that. a lot of material and I'm sorry to say it but I'm sort of excited to say it we made it through season three we had a really big season three we had an interview from Lawrence Juber which is a big deal Mm -hmm. we had some of our longest and most ambitious episodes this season absolutely and we're wrapping up right at the beginning of the new millennium so we'll be going into this next phase of McCartney's work with season four which I'm really excited about. I'm finding some of this late stuff quite interesting. Yes, it's it's a different research experience for me where you really have to dig around to find out what some of these songs are about. I'm excited to see what the future holds here. If any of you have any ideas and what you want to hear in seasons four and beyond, please feel free to write those in. We're always open to your comments, criticisms, concerns. Please check us out on our social media. We have a closed Facebook group now where some really fun and serious conversation is happening. If you want more of the same thing that you get here, but with people on Facebook, like-minded people, check that out. So the last thing I'll say 
before we wrap up here is that when we asked you all to step up to support this show, to keep it moving and going, you did. And we made it all the way through season three. If you guys want to hear a season four, head over to our website, head over to our Patreon page. Any kind of donation you can give helps us continue moving the show along. It takes a lot of time to research, to edit. Every single dollar goes back into this show because we want to keep it going and growing and building this community. And a podcast does have bills to pay, and we are totally up for doing the work, but we hate to have to dip into our own pockets on top of it. So it would be great to get enough donations to fund the entire fourth season. And we have a lot of great ideas for season four. You already know we have some more albums coming up. And we've already hinted around that there's this late Macca renaissance coming up. And who knows what other surprises we have. We've had something cool just about every season. Hard to believe we'd let you down on season four. Because we have some good stuff in store. Yeah, let's keep the conversation going. Couldn't have said it better myself. So why don't we go out with a little preview of season four? And we'll look forward to seeing you then. Thank you. I'm not coming down No matter what you do I like it up here without you Oh, like this to Melody We'll have you down soon No one do tell me what to do No one to hold my hand Bellamy's got a lot to do And I hope that you'll understand Nobody here to spoil the view Interfere with my plans Bellamy's got a job to do And he's hoping you'll understand Steady lads Easy does it everybody Ryan here we want to just take a moment to say thank you to a few donors that have donated since the last episode Alexander Dums Mads Hald Anderson Bruce Moses Michael Shawcross Warren Butson Joe McGinnis Barry Shepard Kurt Dwerkson Greens Sports Bar Gerben Wasink and again, if I said any of those names wrong, please write us an email and I will re-say your name on air. Thank you all so much. You are hearing this episode because of your donations. Thank you. Our theme music 
is Martha, My Dear by John Lennon and Paul McCartney, realized by Ryan Brady. Take it away. The complete Paul McCartney archive podcast is powered by Pippa.